Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 118 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you may have recently listened to an episode that I did with Gwen about preparing for the holidays. In that episode, Gwen congratulated me on going through an entire episode without crying. This is not one of those episodes. This episode, I think I am crying almost the whole way through the interview. It's just a very touching story to me. Dana and I have a lot of similarities. We both lost our sons in freak accidents, and we both are in the medical field. Dana is a pediatric oncology nurse, and I, of course, am a pediatrician. So I think our stories can be very similar in that regard. She is just two years out from the death of Brogan, so things are still very fresh and raw for her as well. Since I did bring up Gwen's name, I am also going to mention that next week we are having another live stream episode. That live stream will be next Tuesday, December 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. In it, we will be talking again about kind of preparing for Christmas and also doing some of those inspirational stories that we've done in the past Oh, kind of messages from heaven, messages of hope, things like that. So if you have a cool story about your loved one that you would like to share, maybe a little sign that you've seen from heaven sometime in the past, if you've shared before, it'd be great to share again. I haven't had anyone submit anything yet, but it has just been a few days since I recorded that first episode. So hopefully this will be a last reminder for you to get in those stories to me. Please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. You can email me the story and just write it out. You can also do it in your own words, whether you send me a recording that you do ahead of time or we invite you to be on the live stream. Don't be intimidated by that. It would just be a few minutes on the live stream, not uh, anything extended. So again, email me at marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com just so we can get those stories uh, ahead of time. For now, though, I know you will enjoy listening to Dana just as much as I did talking to her, even if it does cause you a few tears as well. Thank you so much, Dana, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. I am really looking forward to hearing more about your son, Brogan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to start by saying thank you for doing this. I know everybody starts that way, but I don't think you get how much, or I hope you get how much this means to me, how much comfort I get from your show. This being a bereaved mother is so isolating sometimes. Yeah. And I listen to, I just told you, I binge watch. I listen to like 
two episodes a day, one on my way to work and one on my way home from work. And those two hours of my day, I are the two hours that I don't feel alone. I just feel, oh. I nod my head in my car. I talk out loud to you guys on my way. People probably think I'm crazy, but it's, it's just so comforting to know that I'm not alone. And the words that come out of your, your and the other mom's mouths are just, they just ring true to me. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I really, really do. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there are days when this is easier and days when this is harder. So I do appreciate knowing that, that it can offer some comfort. And oh, I yes. think you've got an interesting way that you came to listen to my show too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun connection. So I think you should talk yeah. about that. So I work with Gwen's niece, Marissa. Mm-hmm. She, I'm a nurse at a children's hospital in Minnesota. And Marissa, I was off work for 15 months. And shortly after I came back, she hooked me up with Gwen and said, you know, my aunt does this and here's some resources for you. And then she told me about your podcast. And that's how that came to be. Anyway, I think that's really really just cool how those connections can end up happening and how well Gwen is just amazing there's no doubt about it she's an amazing resource an amazing woman and I'm very blessed to have her in my life for sure yes me too so why don't we now talk about your son Brogan and so we can just get to know him and who he was as a kid and just little bits okay Brogan was just an amazing little boy he was 10 when he died He was so kind and gentle, but yet so adventurous and outgoing. He was boy, boy, dirt, mud, dirt bikes, hunting, fishing, baseball, football, all of that stuff. Just so energetic and so excited and and enthusiastic about everything that he did. He gave his all in, in everything that he did. He was the best big brother that my kids could ask for. He's 19 months older than my daughter, Violet. And those two just clicked and became inseparable from the day she was born. They, they wouldn't go places without each other. It was, it was, it was just great. He's a thinker. Oh, from young on, I could just see the wheels turning. He would walk up to a a situation or like say a, a jungle gym or something and he'd walk to the end and think about think about how he would get down what was the best way you could just you could just see the wheels turning and then my daughter Violet she I mean she'd be the opposite she would get to the edge of the swing set and just keep on running without thinking about it <laughs> and I know Bro- Brogan always always looked out for her and protected her but he would kind of set her up as the guinea pig yeah. first and say, like, well, Violet, why don't you try it? Or Vio, he called her. He couldn't say Violet, so he called her Vio. And he'd say, well, you try it. You do this first. And, and then if it didn't if it didn't end up too horrible, then he'd give it a shot. Or you could just see him rethinking another way of, of doing it. And then our other son, Emmett, came along. And I was worried about how the two of them would let in a third. But they just became the three amigos. And Brogan taught him everything he knows about hunting and fishing and he'd take them out on adventures in the woods and just look out for them and then same thing when our fourth Lucy came along he'd always make sure she was included he'd pick her up and carry her where she needed to go make sure she had everything that she needed just so sweet and loving and kind so there were 17 months between the first two how much what was the age gap for all of them then so 
19 between Violet oh, and 19, Brogan. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then we had a miscarriage. And so it's two and a half years between Violet and Emmett, mm-hmm. and then almost exactly three years between Emmett and Lucy. So they would, they would span right now from 12 to five. Yeah. Yeah. He played baseball, loved playing baseball. He gave it his all always. He was always had a smile on his face when he was out there. It's, it's hard for me to say, but he wasn't the best kid on the team, but he sure tried the hardest and cheered everyone on and always was picking people's spirits up, encouraging, encouraging people. They have, since we have a Brogan Schaefer Sportsmanship Award, the Youth Baseball Association gives out every year now. We can maybe talk a little bit more about that yeah. later. Yeah. He was in fifth grade. They go to a little Catholic school and he was very faithful. He loved getting his first communion. And um, when he was old enough to serve mass in fourth and fifth grade, he loved doing that. He loved being the lead server where he could be the cross bearer. And I mean, he just, he just beamed when he was at church. You could see him making sure you were watching him looking so proud Everybody looked up to him. He was just just an amazing person. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like a sweet kid and an awesome big brother. He was. Yeah. He was my husband's best friend from the time that Jake would get home from work. He'd be waiting by the window and then they'd go out in the shop and <laughs> until it was bedtime. Like My husband's a carpenter and he knows how to fix anything and everything. And Brogan was right there with him working all the time. He could... Jake could spout off tools and Brogan would go grab the right one. And me, I'm like, I have, I have no idea what you're, what you need here, but Brogan knew everything. He was Jake's little sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to go into now what happened to Brogan? Yes. It was a Sunday evening. I'm a nurse at a hospital. I said that already. I worked all weekend um, and I just worked eight hours on Sundays. So I was coming home and a friend invited us over for dinner, a family friend. We hang out with them all the time, do life together with them. And we decided to go over there for dinner and the kids all ate. Brogan cleaned his plate, which is like a little bit unusual for him, but he he looked up at me and said, mom, I'm done. And I was like, okay, do you want more? And he said, no. And I go outside and play. And I said, sure. And all the kids went outside to play and the four of us adults were cleaning up dinner and the kids... They all came running and screaming that that Brogan got hit. The swing set tipped over and Brogan got hit. In the head, or I don't know if they said head, but Brogan's hurt. So we ran out there and the swing set had tipped over and hit him in the head. He was unconscious. His pupils were fixed and dilated. And it was like I knew, I knew right away, but... Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't take it in. I screamed for my friend's husband to call nine one one. He is a volunteer firefighter, as am I, and he's a first responder. And his wife is an ER nurse. Oh wow! And I mean, we we had the best team there for him. Yeah, my husband was at his feet, and he was breathing, and his heart was beating, strong heartbeat. And everything, I just, there was nothing we could do but wait, wait for the ambulance. Um, when we got him in the ambulance, we 
we did have to go into like into full CPR. My friend was doing chest compressions on him. And we're from a small town. I knew the ambulance crew. We started an IO on him, intubated him, and I was begging him on the way to the hospital. We we shocked him one time. And his heart his heart beat came back. And I remember it my friend shouted out 44 and I had this like split split second of relief thinking okay we got him back we're fine yeah and then she said it's not enough and we just we went back into compressions and we did CPR the entire way to the hospital and then the hospital staff took him back and worked on him for a little bit I don't know how long it was but I, I just knew and they came out and told us that that they're sorry and there was nothing more they could do yeah and we just my husband and I just sat in a room in, in complete disbelief and shock and I got ill immediately ill just yeah that was it yeah Sorry, just listening to you reminds me a lot of me, too. I think about that a lot. Rogan was built like Andy, just a petite little guy. <laughs> brown hair and brown eyes, just like, like Andy. I know, and just... So I think they seem like very similar souls, first, first of all. <laughs> Andy was not a good baseball player either, but... Gosh, he was the best cheerleader on the team, and everybody wanted him on their team. Exactly, yes. Because he was just an awesome teammate. Mm -hmm. And just listening to you when I think about my husband having to do the same thing that you did on the side of the road, it's just so hard. It's so awful. I know. I feel bad that I was not conscious enough to help, but yet I wouldn't have been able to do anything more than he dead so no i'm a i'm a firm believer in god's plan and and i think that this all happened the way it did as part of god's plan and like i had just said i had the best team yeah. rogan had the best team there best possible place it it could have happened and as much as it sucked and how awful it was to have to work on him I I got to work on him yeah. and I know that everything that possibly could have been done was done. If I wasn't there, I think I always would have questioned yeah. if there could have been something more or different. And so I I think about that too, about how I think it was the way it was supposed to be, because I think my husband had to try. I think he I think he had to, yep. and I think had had he been had it been the opposite, and he would have been unconscious, and I would have had to try. I don't know how I could have done it, and I know he's the best one to have done it, right? Because he's an anesthesiologist; that's like what right. he does. And yeah, so if one of us had to do it, I'm so glad he didn't, and I'm glad part of me, I'm glad I didn't have to try. Mm -hmm. Yep, and you know he had the best because that would have been hard, and I'm 
And I think in your case, you had to be the one to try because it's not like your husband would have been able to do any of that, right? Right. Yeah. Get at a lot of other things, but yeah. <laughs> but that would not be the, you know, his strongest suit, certainly. So, right, right. So, I know that it ends up, those are good things to have happened in a way, but so traumatizing. So it traumatizing. is. Yeah. So, why don't you go into talking about that time after and, and maybe those first days and, and, and things? Oh, those first days were just awful, unbearable. They are unexplainable to anyone who's never experienced it. It's pain beyond pain. There's not there's not words to describe how horrible it is, how awful you feel, how draining it is. Like I was physically ill. I didn't know that grief had had such a physical component to it, but I was just physically ill, that weight on your chest, like I literally had trouble breathing. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. It was terrible. Planning his funeral was surreal, but I'm almost ashamed to say this, but I had it planned. I work with kids with cancer. Uh-huh. And so I've been to a lot of kids' funerals and I've seen parents do some really unique things to honor their kids. It's not, they're not just like a right. standard adult funeral where everything's pretty much the same. So I had rehearsed all of my kids' funerals in my head on my drive to and from work. And so it was going through the motions. My husband didn't really make a lot of decisions. He was, it was really hard for him, but he, you know, everything that I suggested or recommended, he was on board with and okay with. We had so much support and really we still do. We're very blessed. Our little community is, is just amazing. His funeral was the following Monday. So a week after he died and I asked the principal if she thought it would be okay if I pulled the fifth graders out of class to each read a petition in at his funeral. And she looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? We are not having school on Monday. So the whole school was there. The children's choir sang, they opened for him. And then his sister and two of his best friends did the readings. And then his whole class did the petitions. His classmates were his pallbearer along with his uncles and my, my dad and my father-in-law. We had, the baseball team and Boy Scouts as honorary pallbearers and one of his best friends and his dad got a team of mules and gave him a wagon ride out to the cemetery. Wow. And then all of his little friends in his, in his dirt bike circle brought their dirt bikes out to the cemetery and we had a final ride for him. Wow. The support was just was just amazing. We we're so fortunate. Our little community, our friends and family have just been been amazing at being here for us and remembering him and helping us honor him and just letting us know that we're not forgotten and that he's not forgotten. Yeah, it really reminds me of our funeral too, you know, that because Andy's funeral was on what was supposed to be his first day of high school and they still did have school, but... 
a lot of the kids came and mm-hmm. you know he's in a high school where everyone wears a uniform yeah but the soccer team asked if they could wear their soccer uniforms instead and so they wore their soccer uniforms that day and, and went to the funeral and sat all together at his funeral in the uniform because you know yep. he, had, he had just gotten his uniform the day before he died so yeah that was a that is so special that was a special thing i don't think i've ever shared that on the podcast before that they came and there weren't really enough seats in the church and so they all sat on the side kind of on a windowsill all together mm-hmm. in their uniforms i hardly remember the funeral to be quite honest but there are a few little snippets that come back to me and one is the image of all of those boys on the soccer team together <laughs> and they dedicated the whole season to him and the varsity made it to districts that year which they never had before oh oh i didn't know that no i i don't think i've shared any of this actually no yeah awesome but it's special when they do special things like that mm-hmm. yeah it felt good to be able to honor him yeah, in that way, in the way that he really was, and the type of person he was. Yeah, for sure. So another big similarity I think you and I have in our kind of grief journey really has been this like working in medicine and working with kids and how difficult then that ends up being. So do you want to, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I was really fortunate. I had 15 months off of work and it was, it was great. Uh, I mean, I, I needed that. I was given an ultimatum at the end of that time that I needed to come back or part ways with the hospital. And that was a little frustrating, but I also think I needed to be pushed. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I ever would have been ready. So I'm grateful for the time that I had off and the support that I have from my team at work was just absolutely amazing. And it still is. They really let me come back gradually and coming back to nursing in such a caring profession. Anybody who saw that I needed a moment or couldn't think clearly like you, like there's just stupid mistakes that you catch yourself or like just, just your brain doesn't work right. And I just, felt so supported and I still feel so supported in my role back at work. I work with kids with cancer, as I said before, and that's really hard. I've lost several patients since I've been back to work. I said before, I'm a big believer in God's plan. And I think that I was put in my role as a pediatric oncology nurse for a reason. And that I continue to be in that role for a reason. There is a little boy that I took care of for seven years. And the day that I met him and his family, I just I just fell in love with him and felt such a strong connection to his family. And I took care of him for seven years before he died. And it, I, I asked God so many times in those seven years, why, why this? little boy, why this family? Why why do I feel so connected with them? And then Brogan died eight months after he died. And it was just as clear as day to me why, why God put them in my life or us in each other's lives. 
And I try to think of that going forward now that God still has me in this role to use my experience to help people through this, to help to, to be there for, for parents and patients and families who are going to continue to go through this. That's, do you still have contact with uh, that mom? Almost every day. Almost every day. Yep. Yeah. Did she reach out to you or did you reach out to her? I reached out to her just to share the news of Brogan's passing and then our friendship evolved and we support each other in every way that we can now. And it's so funny because they died in such different ways, but there are just still so many similarities. It just, it's, it just doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. It's just missing your child. And, you know, before this happened to Brogan, the nurses and I would you know, we, we cried together and say, oh, I don't know what's worse. You know, we'd hear about a trauma in the ED that didn't make it. And we'd always say, what's, what, what, what would you rather have? Would you rather know or would you rather just not know? And, you know, we all go back and forth. And I think yeah. ultimately it doesn't matter. And you can think that you're prepared for this and you're not. No, I've kind of said, you know, some patients and families, they choose to die in the hospital and it, it, sometimes it turns into a really long process and you can just see the the agony that the parents are feeling and going through. And you just sometimes just pray that, okay, God, like that, this is enough. It's, it's time. And I've said before, it must be almost a relief to some of these parents mm-hmm. to not have their son suffer before. But I've since my experience taken that back. And I think that there can be no relief because you cannot possibly prepare yourself for the pain in that moment of the change from living to dead. There's nothing that it's, there's nothing relieving about it. There, there cannot be anything relieving about it, no matter how your child dies. Yeah. I remember having that very conversation with Stephanie, who's been on the, on the show before mm-hmm. and now is working at Starlight Ministries and, you know, her daughter, Kian, had a very long death. And in fact, you know, they were giving her IV nutrition that was just so painful to her and causing so much trouble. So they had to make that decision to stop the IV nutrition. Mm-hmm. And then they had to watch her die over that time. And and they knew she was dying for a long, long time. And, and Stephanie talks about how she went to therapy every week, talking to her therapy a therapist, felt like she was kind of getting ready, right? Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, and then she had to watch her die over these days, I think almost two weeks that was long and agonizing. But yet when she died, what's the thing you want? Just five more minutes. Right? Mm-hmm. And as ready as she thought she was, she wasn't. And all Can't of be. those therapy sessions, she almost felt like, why did I even do that? Because it didn't get me ready. You know, she wasn't ready and she thought she was ready and then it happens and you're just not. Right. You, you can't be. No, no, you just can't be. You think you can, but you, you just can't. 
I think about that one, even with my mom's death too, was very long and mm -hmm. but yet I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all. So you're right. There's no good way. Mm -hmm. There's no good way. I hate that it was sudden. I hate that I didn't get to say goodbye, but I would have hated to see him suffer too. Right. It's just horrible. Mm -hmm. So I know you said you came back. You know, how long have you been back at work now? 11 months. I went back in January. Okay. Almost 11 months to the day. Okay. So do you, do parents know, do families know about your experience? Do you know? The families that were there before? No. Yeah. They know. And there's a, just a couple that I've told, um, you know, the kids are in the hospital for a long time, months at a time. And I take care of them every day and we start, you know, they start asking me about my family and as I ask about theirs. And I, I think there's just been a couple families that I've felt comfortable sharing that with. And it's, that's always really hard for me too, because you know, what do we want? We want to talk about our kid yep. or we want to talk about our dead child, but I think I'm in like a hard environment to do that. I want them to know that, that I'm super compassionate, but I don't want to scare them. Like, yes. oh my gosh, did they, yes. did they put this nurse with us? Because this is what's going to happen to us. And I also don't want them to think like, Oh my gosh, is she is she okay to to do this? Mm -hmm. Is she is she thinking my kid is her kid? Is she pretending that this is her kid? Like is she focused? Like you know all those yeah all those things those things that you wonder. But you know, so some do and some don't. I I you know I I'm the same way. I mean uh, the ones that I have from before no. Although honestly, mm -hmm. I think some of them kind of forget. I don't. I don't think they think about it very often. But the new ones, I don't think. It, I don't think anyone knows. I mean, they yeah. don't know from me. Mm -hmm. And and it's. I just feel like it would just terrify people, you know, mm -hmm. in some ways to have them know. So, so they don't. But it does make me a different doctor than I used to be for sure. And yep. And I do look at them in a different way. And I think I'm, I, you know, I talk about this. I've talked about this before, especially like when I take care of teens with mental health issues and depression and who I'm worried about suicide or something. I just, I look at those parents and I just so, I'm just so terrified that someday they'll be me and I don't want them to be me. And, you know, that I just get so, I just don't want, I just, I just, don't want any of them to have to be me and to go through this. And so for the most part, they don't know. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I do talk about him. I talk about my my middle son. I talk about my oldest son. I will mm -hmm. tell little funny stories about, you know, if, if I've got somebody that – a baby that won't take a bottle, I'll say, oh, my son was just like that. He would never take a bottle. Yep. And – no one asks if they're still alive now. They just assume right. that they are. So I just, like, I think all my new families, they all probably think I have all living kids. And and you know what I mean? I just, mm -hmm. because you do want to yeah. still talk about them. 
Yeah. And I've occasionally had some ask, oh, how old are your kids now? And I just will come back with, oh, they're teenagers. And then that's all I have to say because I I don't want to say that one of them's not getting any older. Yes. You know, so. that's what I try to, you know, they ask, they ask and I, you know, like, you know, just kind of try to slide it in there. Five, seven, 11. And my oldest would be 12. And some people catch the would be and some people don't. Uh-huh. And that's my way of honoring him. Like, I'm never going to deny him. I will never tell anyone that I have three kids. That's that's my decision. I know some people in our situation just don't have the capacity to take that on in that in the moment when they're put on the spot and they would say, I have three kids. That's just something I will never do. And so I guess sometimes I hope they miss the would be part. I'm not to the, I, I'm not to this space where I would say he is 12. Right. But I mean, in a way he is 12, he's here with us and he is 12, but I like to share little stories with my patients too. And their families, obviously like my kids have to take a lot of pills. I refer to my patients as my kids a lot too. So if I'm, if I'm not <laughs> clear, let me, my kids at work, um, if I have to try to teach them how to swallow pills, I say, do you know my, how my older son taught my younger son to swallow pills? We were on vacation. I didn't have any children's ibuprofen. So he, so Emmett had to swallow a pill and Brogan said to him, Emmett, just do it like your broccoli, put it way in the back of your mouth and wash it down with your milk. And I just think that is such a great analogy. I loved when, when we were pulled over on the side of the road and Brogan used that analogy on Emmett. And I do use that on my kids at work. And, and you give Brogan like credit. Said, no, no, nobody thinks that Brogan's not alive anymore, No, but I'm fulfilled in being able to say his name. And that you is know? why I really have been trying to encourage and spread that message of to be able to, instead of asking somebody how many kids they have, to just say, tell me about your family. Because if, if, if somebody said, tell me about your family, you could then not mention Brogan and not feel like you've abandoned him and left him out in some ways. You know what I mean? But if you're right. asked a, a, a question that you have to give a number for, you know, it's harder. Mm-hmm. But if it's tell me about your family, you can talk about your husband. You can not talk about your husband. You can talk about all all of your kids. You can not talk about all your kids. You can talk about your sister. You can talk about your brother. You can, you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. you can go so many more ways with it and not feel like, yeah. Like you're um, almost betraying them a little bit, like not right. honoring them and not mentioning it. So I don't know. That's something that hopefully people start to do a little bit more, but if, I'm sure yeah. we've got a long way to go. I've got to get way more popular and famous in order to make that stick, I think. <laughs> we'll work on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what about your other kids? I mean, it, they were there, so they had to witness that. So, you know, parenting through that yeah. I know is hard. I've had to do it myself. Your kids yes. were younger than than my mine. That's been hard and scary. The mental health piece of that, I worry about them not being able to cope with it later. Yeah, and making the impulse decisions that teenagers do. So Lucy was three, and. She probably talks about Brogan the most and she was home with me 
she didn't go to preschool until she was four. So she was home with me and definitely saw me cry, I think, more than the the other two. Um, and she would just comfort me and say, it's okay, mommy. I miss Brogy too. And I know you're sad. Or she would bring me a picture of Brogan or a stuffed animal of Brogan's. And, you know, she was just three. It just is what it what it is for her. I love that in some ways because they just, they don't have that societal pressure to turn it off and to not talk about it or right. this will make mom sad. So don't mention it or whatever, you know, that comes yes. really soon after that, actually. So three is kind of a little bit of a sweet spot in that I think yes. it's, it is nice. Yes. Know. And to carry on that note, Violet, my oldest one, I think she, I think she did that. She didn't want to rock the boat, didn't want to upset me. Yeah. Like, I think she talks about Brogan at school a lot. I know our whole school still, still does. And she'll, you know, tell me stories. She has the teacher now that Brogan had when he died. And um, she has saved things of Bro- the Mrs. Adams has saved things of Brogan's and like Violet forgot her math book last week or something and Sarah pulled out Brogan's and she's like, Oh, saved by Brogan again. And I know kids at school talk about him and I, I worry about her because she appeared to be doing so well that I'm afraid she was doing well to not upset me. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I'm just, I'm just so scared of them getting older and not having the tools to cope with this. We did do family therapy. I, I got us into family therapy. Like he died September 29th, 2019. And we started therapy in November and we went weekly until COVID happened. And then it, it was hard enough to get my kids to engage like in person. And yeah, once it went virtual, the virtual therapy didn't work at all, but she discharged all of them and really didn't see any you know, she thought they were doing well and didn't see any long-term issues, but I mean, we'll never know. And then Emmett, my son Emmett, the middle one, um, he really, really had a hard time. I mean, I think he still is, but he, if we scolded him or disciplined him, he would say things like, oh, I, I should have died, not broken. I'm a horrible person. And that just breaks my heart. He had to get glasses and he's so cute with his little glasses, but he's like, Oh, I'm going to look so ugly. I just want to kill myself. And he's eight. And that just breaks my heart and scares me. Like I'm, I'm I'm not in denial at all. I know that that's real and that happens, but right now I can honestly say that Emmett does not have the means or the strength, the willpower or the knowledge how to, how to actually follow through with that but might in five years yeah he will in 10 years for sure be able to do that if he wants to so I'm I I want to equip them with tools now so that they know how to handle things when they're older I did get Emmett back into therapy and we had to drive about an hour we live in a small town small suburbs south of the cities we call them the cities in Minnesota you know, I have a ton of family there too, so I always know of it oh. cities. And I used to live east of there, just over the Wisconsin border. So, okay. I am, area. Yes, yes, yes. 
New Richmond was my so, town that I lived oh, in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was t- taking him up to St. Paul for some face-to-face therapy. And the hour drive, I wouldn't tell him until it was time to go because he would just dread it and cry and it would upset him so much. And then we had an hour drive and ultimately we, the therapist and I decided that the stress that it's causing him was not worth it. to come to therapy is not worth it. We've been referred somewhere a little bit closer. I haven't, I haven't um, set that up yet. He seems to be doing, you know, air quotes better. He's not made any comments about hurting himself in, in, in a couple of months, which doesn't sound like very long when I say it that way, but I like to think that I am hyper aware of their feelings and will, and will notice those signs. But it's, it's funny just listening to you like this, though. It does just show how terrifying it is that you're just so scared that this could happen again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what yeah. I hear in your voice is that fear of, you know, it can happen once. That means it can happen again because it happened a crazy fluky thing. I mean, who would imagine that a swing set could fall over and your child could just be gone? Right. So right. that's what's I think that's the biggest thing. You just lose so much of your innocence. And you and I both have worked with sick kids you know, kids with cancer. I've worked with kids with cancer. I've lost patients with cancer, but you know, you see that coming. And so this not seeing it coming, and we've talked about not one is not worse than the other. And I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. at all, but when you don't see it coming at all, you just lose so much of your own innocence that the fear is terrifying. I mean, it's just so, I (laughs) did not expect to be so scared. And I just really have that feeling, you know what I mean? I've I've talked to moms who have had their kids die of cancer and they have said even, you know, the one nice thing now is that the fear is gone because there was always the fear of, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And the fear is gone. And I said, wow, it's so funny because I can't relate to that at all. Because for me, the day Andy died was the day the fear started. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really gone away. I mean, there are certainly times that are better. And overall, it's probably better than it was. But that's the day the fear started for me, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody else. It was, you know, a little relief to have the fear gone. I think I've always had a bit of that fear because of my job. I see, yeah. I see kids die all the time and that, that just sounds awful. And, but that's my reality. Yeah. We also on, on our unit take mental health patients and I see that that's real talking about fear. The nurses and I, my coworkers and I would also talk about, Oh my gosh, would you rather have your kid have cancer or the mental health disorder where they're suicidal and, and and maybe we shouldn't make do a better or worse thing. But I, I was like, I think I'd rather have cancer because you treat it and it works or it doesn't, but you don't live in fear constantly wondering if you're going to wake up and find out that they hurt themselves or they hurt somebody else. Yeah. And, and maybe that's, that's not something I should say either, but that 
also is now my reality. It, the possibility of children dying has always been, you know, pretty real to me because of my job. And then the mental health piece got added to our unit and that makes it real. And I think that my kids are at a higher risk for mental health issues because of losing Brogan. And I'm not sure if that's statistically true or not. But in your heart, but, it's true. And that's what matters, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And now now I'm losing my train of thought um, <laughs> where I was going to go. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think it's human nature to do these comparisons, though. So I think that's just part of who we are as people, that you're constantly thinking about different choices you could make, different things, putting yourself a little bit in somebody else's shoes, what what you'd rather. And, and I certainly have done that. I mean, being in pediatrics, mm-hmm. too, I, you know, you see that all the time. I was terrified when I was pregnant. I, like... I go in for my ultrasound and I'm freaked out about what congenital defects they're going to have. I ask an ultrasonographer if their diaphragm's intact. I mean, that's not what normal people do at the ultrasound. Normal people are so excited to get the little picture and to find out it's a boy or a girl and whatever, whatever. I didn't have really any of that. None of it. I was, it was scary because Mm -hmm. of what could happen and what I could find out and how my life could change in that moment of that ultrasound. So... You know, it's just, it's weird when you work in in the setting that we work. And my ultrasounds, I always remember looking for the four chambers of the heart. Yeah. And when I see that, that's, that's when I felt relief. Right, right. Probably, probably not something most people look for in their, in their prenatal ultrasound. And then as my kids were babies, if they they'd have a big tummy and I'd start feeling around like, Oh my God, they have neuroblastoma. Oh my gosh. And then, and then they would just have a big ball movement, big poop and everything's fine and dandy. And they didn't have neuroblastoma. And I don't think normal people think like that either, but it's my, my daughter took 25 hours to have her first poop. So what was going through my head? Oh, all sorts of things were going through my head because you're supposed to poop within the first 24 hours. And she went 25 and I'm freaking out because in that hour Mm -hmm. but she was fine she just happened to poop a little later and it was fine (laughs) but you know in my mind for a little while starting at about the 22 hour mark I start panicking and then counting down those minutes and then now it's past the minutes so yeah Mm -hmm. but I do think that you're right in that we can offer something now since we have experienced this, I do, I feel like my compassion is more than it used to be. Do you feel that in some ways? It probably is. I think I was really compassionate before this happened too. I think my change is just that I thought I, I thought I was, I was, I did a good job of being compassionate before, but I thought I understood. I thought a piece of my heart broke for them and just, just to now, that is so foolish to think that I thought I knew how they, how, how hurt they must have been. <laughs> it reminds me of kind of a silly thing back when I was, you know, uh, in my training and early in my pediatrics practice, and I used to try to help moms breastfeed before I ever mm-hmm. breastfed. And I thought afterwards, after I was 
breastfeeding myself, like I had no business doing that. I did not know what the heck I was doing until I had done it myself. I I didn't have a clue. And I remember telling one Mm -hmm. of my friends that, which I shouldn't have told her because she didn't have kids yet. And then she was feeling like, oh, I shouldn't even be talking to these women about it. But it's, it's a silly analogy, but it does feel in some ways the same. Like, I felt like I could give parents advice and help them, but I didn't really have a clue. And I thought I knew what the right thing to do was, but I didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Now I just know so much more. I know I know to talk about them more. I know that bringing up the kids' names and talking about what's going on with them isn't going to make them sad. It's going to make them feel like, oh, you remember me and you care and you may cry <laughs> because I brought it up. But that's not because the sadness wasn't there. It was right there right. below the surface. And before, you know, before that um, moment, you are actually feeling more alone. And me bringing it up makes you feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. So now, again, this is the second time recently that I have forgotten to turn off that clock. So we can listen in the background to the clock that my family got me after Annie died. (laughs) I do love listening to the clock, though, so it does make me kind of smile. I'm I'm thinking I should just always keep it on during these interviews so now everyone can hear the lovely clock go off. (laughs) Is there anything else you felt like you wanted to just talk about in your grief journey and advice you might give or anything else? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I want to give, I want to give advice and I want to be helpful, but I don't know what's coming to my mind now. I guess like the biggest regret I have was at the hospital, you know, they cleaned him up and we, we got to go see him and we, didn't stay long at the hospital. It, it was just too hard. I was, I was, I was throwing up. I just, I couldn't be there. I just, yeah. we waited for our priest and Brogan's friend's grandpa was the coroner that came and got him. And we were really comforted by that. And when our priest and Sean got there, I felt like he wasn't alone. And I was just, I just, I, I need to get out of here. I did. I crawled in bed with him for, for a minute or a few minutes and held him. And then I just, I just, I was so sick. I just had to leave, but I guess my piece of advice would be if you can handle it, stay there and hold your child as long as you can, because that's your last chance. Yeah. And, you know, we can all say, like, every time we walk out the door, we should cherish our kid and hug him like it's the last time because it very well could be. But I just I wish I would have done that longer and just touched every inch of his body and held him longer. Yeah, it's so hard to know what's best for each so person hard. because I mm-hmm. think, you know, I recently had somebody on who said she prayed long and hard about seeing her daughter uh, or not at at the funeral home and and the person there that greeted her said you know she doesn't she doesn't look good and 
She said, that's okay, because I've prayed about it, and I'm, and I'm not going to see her. And she <laughs> said, then she showed a picture of her, of her daughter when she was alive to her, and she said, I'm glad you're not seeing her, because that's not who's in that room. So mm-hmm. I do want to say that, too, is that sometimes for some people, they, they do need to do that. And for others, if you can't, you can't. And it's all OK, you know. Absolutely. You're right. I shouldn't have. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that if... at all. And in fact, what do I have for a regret? I have the same regret as you. I have the regret of, you know, when I was in the ambulance and they told me Andy didn't make it. I regret letting them just take me to the hospital. I regret not jumping out of that ambulance and holding him one more time. Mm-hmm. Because I, you're right, I never had the chance again. I didn't see him for days, actually, at the funeral because mm-hmm. they never took him to the hospital. So, But you don't know at the time. You really don't know at the time. And so I have to give myself, I have to kind of forgive myself for not doing that because I do wish... I'd have just bolted out of that ambulance and gone to the side of the road where he was likely still laying, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. We don't have the mental or emotional capacity in, in that moment. And it's right. Right. And I, I do, I seriously have the same exact regret. I was like, I could have held him one more time. He still would have been warm, Mm -hmm. but yet I didn't. And maybe it's for the best and who knows, who knows, mm-hmm. right? And I yeah. can't take it back anyway. It doesn't matter. But, but yet those are the thoughts that kind of come to you, I think. And mm-hmm. I think everyone ends up having certain regrets, right? Oh, yeah. It's my friend recently lost her husband, which is different, but still a, a great loss. And I've just been trying to help her through that and help, trying to help her make some decisions. And I said, I'm... I'm not going to tell you that you're going to have no regrets because that's, that's just not true. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to regret things and you have to give yourself grace because in the moment, that's the best you could do. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Yes. And the best thing I could do in that moment was those, I mean, I immediately started just like kind of calling people because I just feel like that felt like they needed to know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did mm-hmm. instead of running out. Of, you know, I called my pastor. I yeah. That's what I did. So, and that was. It just goes back to you can't prepare. You can't prepare. And it's it's what you do in the moment. And it's your last moment. And you, you can't, you're not given the time or capacity to to think yeah. of yeah to do to do everything that you that you wish you would have in hindsight right yeah. right right yeah. yeah well thank you so much for coming on dana i have cried more in this one than i have in a very very long I know, time I'm sorry that's okay oh, I, I i you know i had an emotional week because i i was on and i was on a podcast out of Australia. I was interviewed by a guy in Israel. And so I think it was a lot of telling my story this week. So I think it brings Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff up. It's very cool to kind of help spread the message to other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. But still, it does bring up a lot when you have to when you go there all the time. So 
Yes. So yep. again, thank you. And I look forward to learning even more about Brogan. And I know we've talked about maybe doing uh, some future episodes with you on some other things that we didn't really touch on today. Uh, so yes. Yeah. So all I of you, love- uh, yeah, you, she may be on again. So appreciate Dana. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.